0: This is the PR Podcast, a show about how public relations helps you tell your story to the world. We talk with great PR practitioners who have the skills, creativity, and just plain savvy to get their clients noticed. Now, here's your host, Jody Fisher.
1: Hey, everyone, and welcome to the PR Podcast. I'm Jody Fisher. Thanks for joining us. Our guest today is someone of whom I am in awe. She's a good friend. Angela Montefanis is the Senior Director of Public Relations for the New York Public Library. Um, Any of you who have ever seen, uh, walked down Fifth Avenue and seen that gorgeous, gorgeous building there, right off of 42nd Street with the big lions out in front. And these days they've got their masks on, as they should. Um, The New York Public Library is an incredible resource, uh, not just for the people of New York, but really, Uh, people everywhere Uh, it's got more than seven it serves more than 17 million people every year millions millions more online Um, 92 locations across the the borough three boroughs of new york city five boroughs in new york city but they cover three in new york uh, and holds more than 55 million items including and angela i am so excited about these. Columbus's 1493 letter announcing his discovery of the new world, George Washington's original farewell address, and more. But before, Angela, you were a killer PR woman for the New York Public Library. Um, You were a New York City print reporter writing for, among many others, the New York Post. And you and I actually first met when you were writing for a Queen's Weekly paper. Uh, So we go way back. Angela, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you very much. Thanks for having me.
1: Um, tell us a little bit about what life is uh, like right now at the New York Public Library.
0: Well, in general, the library is in a really interesting place, as is everyone in New York City. Uh, because of COVID-19, this global pandemic, all of our locations were temporarily closed for a while. We've now reopened a few of them for grab-and-go service. You can pick up books, but for a, a while there, for about four months, we didn't have our community connection, our locations, our 88 branch libraries, our three research centers. And um, it fell on a lot of different divisions of the library, including communications, my team, to make sure that we remained connected to our communities while we didn't have our branches, while people couldn't stop by and see our librarians. And so it has been a trip um, to do that. And we've been extremely creative uh, to try to cut through the clutter of the news cycle, which is obviously quite dense at this point, to get the library uh, in people's faces and have them remember us and engage with us, and most importantly, use our collections, like ebooks, for example. A lot of people don't even know we have them. And so we've seen ebook use go up, the number of users of our e-reader, simply e reader simply go up. So this has been as successful as a very difficult period can be for us. And as we start to gradually and safely reopen, we're excited that we haven't lost um, our connection through this moment. And hopefully people will come back as we slowly reopen.
1: That that is so great. The library is such an incredible resource um, for for everybody. I mean, and whether we're talking about the New York Public Library or your local library where you are, I, I just feel like there's such essential pieces of every community. I, I, I feel like a place isn't a place to live until you have a library there. Um, tell me a little bit more about the, the the infrastructure of the e-library. You know, you already had that in place before COVID, but did you see that strain as people started to go online more and more and, and rent the e-books?
0: Well, luckily we moved really quickly, not obviously just communications, the entire library moved very fast. There was no hesitation to transition to being a digital first library. So immediately we uh, made sure to buy more eBooks, for example. Um, Our book ops team as they're called, which is a great name for the team that buys our books and watches the book trends. They jumped into action to make sure that our budget shifted from print materials to E. So we did have a lot more books to offer. We also changed some policies to um, lower the number of books people could check out at one time. So our, for our big, big borrowers, that might've been a slight inconvenience, but what it meant was more books were available for more people. So that was a good move. And we worked with the publishers to work out some deals um, that allowed us to have almost unlimited use licenses for some of the more popular eBooks, because people think it's an eBook there's an infinite number and you could keep it forever. It's like a PDF that you just keep copying, but that's actually not the case. There are licenses. So it's just one copy. So if someone has it, you can't have it. Um, So the publishers, obviously, they wanted to make sure people kept reading in this moment. So they were uh, really great partners, actually. Um, They allowed us, for example, to have rights to do full story time. So it's not just eBooks that we loan. Uh, We also try to do story time programs, virtually. So the publishers were really great about allowing us to put full books online without having to clear rights in this moment to make sure everyone had their early literacy tools and families still got their books.
1: Um, You uh, are, you and I are obviously working in the most crowded media market uh, in the world, in New York City. Um, And there are challenges day in and day out uh, with getting your story out uh, inside of that market, uh, but probably even more for the two of us in the last couple of months with COVID, um, tell us a little bit about some of the challenges that you've had in telling the story of the public library in the context of COVID these last few months. Uh, and it probably goes way, way beyond the uh, the story and the photo op of putting the masks on the lions out front in front of the building, right?
0: Right. Um, so I think that one of the biggest challenges we face comms-wise is um, a lot of folks still have this sort of stereotypical view of the library. Like if they haven't used the library since they use the encyclopedia, you know, for their fourth grade history project, they don't actually know that we're not this sleepy place you go to sort of read a book real quiet. We have all that, but there's a lot more going on there, including virtually. So this was a moment to really push all of our promotional hefts behind letting folks know we have a lot to offer, even when our doors, unfortunately, have to temporarily be closed. So we were not just battling the usual, you know, crowded media market um, during the the tightest news cycle humanly possible um, with a pandemic going on, um, but we also had to sort of everyday combat that that. Incorrect assumption some people have, including in the press, that with our doors shut, we have nothing to offer. So we basically set a, an informal goal for ourselves that we were going to pitch something every single week. Some of them were going to be massive, you know, national stories. Some of them were going to be for the neighborhood media outlets to let folks know what we have. But we were constantly looking for creative ways to get into the news to remind people we're still here and we have a lot to offer. So just to give a few examples, um, our head of the branches struck up a deal with a tutoring service called BrainFuse so that anyone with a library card was able to get one-on-one virtual on-demand tutoring, which obviously was a great support to families doing remote learning for the first time in their lives. So that was an, an example of a pretty straightforward Thing. we wrote a press release, we sent it out, but we sent it to education reporters. Uh, these are folks we don't always talk to and just made a case that libraries always support education after school. Now we're supporting it virtually. So we're transitioning that service. And people really responded well to that. The education reporters were like, that's true. Kids do go to the library after school. You know, it's not even something people think about. And so to say now that's a virtual service, we've got a lot of press for that. Then we got creative with something called Missing Sounds of New York. I don't know if you saw that, Jody, but we, looking at social media, interacting with our patrons by email, the thing that people kept telling us was that, oh yes, we have your eBooks and we have your virtual story times and we know all of your virtual services are great, but we just miss being in the library with other human beings. And so knowing that that was something that our patrons and New Yorkers wanted, we partnered with a firm uh, called Mother and we created a playlist of just basically ambient noise um, from New York. So baseball stadium, midtown, the subway, a restaurant and a public library. And this got national play because it was something that perhaps people didn't even know they wanted to hear, but it was soothing and cathartic. But it was also unexpected because the library is, you know, be quiet, shh, and here we are releasing an album of sounds. <laughs> so the unexpected nature of that, um, plus the fact that we've always collected, the thing that makes our research collection so unique is we sort of tell the history, we collect the history of the world In a variety of ways but including through just everyday stories you know some of the items you mentioned we have george washington's farewell address we also have for example a patrolman's notebook a new york city patrolman's notebook from the 1800s so it's what he saw on his beat that's as fascinating a part of history as anything to learn what new york was actually like in that time period and so it made sense for the library to say well the sounds you hear every day we are going to share those with you because everyday life is what we collect and what we you, pay attention to
1: you are reminding me of my radio reporter days when i i used to have a cassette tape back when we all used cassette tapes of <laughs> of ambient noise of all different places that i had ever visited and so i had a busy highway of, you know with truck sounds in the background versus a parkway with only car sounds And I I also remember that I had the sound of a park in the middle of the afternoon. And to your point about, you know, a library being a quiet place and thinking that there's no noise in a particular room, there's never no noise in any room, right?
0: Exactly. There's
1: always something there. There's the, even if it's the sound of, uh, the sound of silence. (laughs) (laughs) But there's nothing there. You still can hear something. I, I saw that story and that was so, so brilliant. Let's take a quick break, we'll be right back after this. And, and going back to what you're talking about, I guess I'll, I'll call them the artifacts that you have in your collection. The, the library is, is almost functioning as a museum as much as it is a resource, wouldn't you say?
0: Well, in some ways, I think that in the fact we have a lot of stuff, <laughs> very, very rare, important, interesting stuff. But the purpose for us is to make it accessible to everybody. So just to give an example, we have a division called the Berg Division. And if you have a need to see Charles Dickens' handwritten notes in his own personal copy of A Christmas Carol, which we have, you can see it up close and personal as long as you're wearing, you know, you're following all the rules. You don't have a pen in your hand or anything. Um, And so these items aren't just, you know... For display, although we do exhibitions and they're important because we want to increase access to these materials, um, but all of these materials—manuscripts, rare books, photographs—anybody could come in and request to see them up close. Um, some of them, you know, are limited to just folks who have a legitimate sort of research purpose because they're so fragile. But you know really, most of the items, anybody can come in and make an appointment and see these things up close to contribute to future scholarship, uh, to write a paper, you know, for any reason, really. So that's how we're slightly different than a museum is, um, you know, the 42nd Street Library has been called the People's Palace. It's this gorgeous place where anyone can walk in. The collections are the same way. Anybody can come and look at our general collections our special collections. It's very exciting. I love, that's my, one of my favorite parts of the job is bringing in reporters and seeing their faces when they're literally looking at the declaration of independence in Thomas Jefferson's handwriting up close, not, not behind glass up close in a special case, but right in front of them. It's such a privilege to be able to do that. I can't even explain it.
1: Yeah, the, the history nerd in me is getting chills hearing you say that. I I would love to see that. We're gonna to have to make an appointment at some point. Consider as long as I'm done. one of those, as long as I'm one of those privileged few.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Consider it done.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Um, but let's get back to the PR conversation. You know, you're talking about all these great resources and and sort of all these different things that the New York Public Library does. How much education do you have to do with reporters to sort of realign their thinking and get them to see you as not just the place that people go to, you know, rent a, uh, I shouldn't say rent, borrow a book, or or maybe even sit in the reading room and do some research, but actually to access all of this information. How much education goes into talking with reporters and editors about that?
0: Well, I've been at the library for about 10 years, and I'm very lucky that I've cultivated a a big network of reporters who now know to come to us when they have questions about some of these things but it's actually um there's a lot that has to go into it because reporters that you know newsrooms are getting smaller as you know jody and reporters are covering wider varieties of things so the person you you're talking to maybe never covered the library before ever and they think i mean i'll tell you this i worked at the new york post You know, I didn't know a lot of the facts about the library that as a born and bred New Yorker, I'm now embarrassed I didn't know. I just, you just don't know it. You're living life. You're going fast. You don't walk into that 42nd Street building. So there is a lot of, you say, education, just like background information that you have to share with reporters just to make sure they understand the context of what you're talking about. And when we do pitch stories, we do a lot of brainstorming and idea generation we're often pitching things that make it easier to make that education and just to give one more example i don't want to ramble on here but um one thing that we've done several times during this covid period is release our top e-checkouts because reporters love lists and they they understand you know top checkouts okay that's that that's what's popular and therefore wide range of their readers might be interested in this plus what people are reading in isolation is actually kind of an interesting snapshot of history like what are they checking out while they're stuck in the house um but that story while it had all the elements that a reporter would want for a nice sort of page three page five uh you know friday tv story it also kind of forced people to understand we have ebooks you can download them for free from anywhere, you don't need to come to the library, you can get a library card from anywhere in New York. Um, it, giving them a piece of content that was exciting and good for their readers that would get clicks, um, while also forcing people to understand better what we offer, that makes educating always a little bit easier, when the education is baked into the story. <laughs> so we're always trying to do that
1: and that and that satisfaction that you must feel when you get that aha moment from a reporter when you pitch them that story that you know is is kind of not what you would typically think of when you think of the library the new york public library that's got to be satisfying right to get that oh wow that's really interesting i never knew that before
0: yeah it feels great because reporters have seen it all man so when they say wow I didn't know that you know that's success right there
1: <laughs> what a, but speaking of which you know what are some of the challenges that you find about promoting the library given that sort of predisposition or maybe that prejudice about you know well it's it's a place you go to borrow a book um, what are some of the challenges that you face when you're doing your job
0: well um, one of the biggest is as important as you said, you said it better than I ever could, Jody. We're really important in the lives of people. We truly offer them opportunities that they might not have otherwise at all anywhere. Um, we're often pitching essentially puppies and rainbows to the New York City media and a lot of other places, museums, the other the city's other two public libraries. We're not even the only public library in town. <laughs> um, you know, universities many other places are pitching similar content Um, and there is increasingly less ink. There's increasingly fewer minutes on TV, less airtime, um, fewer reporters to catch their attention. So it is difficult sometimes to pitch sort of the happy stuff, the feel-good stuff in such a crowded market. And you really have to show your worth to reporters and having been on the other side I think has been extremely helpful to me just knowing what the reporters need what the editors need to say yes to a story to give it good placement um what they are looking for in a pitch right off the bat what they don't want to hear um all of that makes that part of the job a little bit easier for me I think um and that I kind of know what they're after and can get that for them um and so that but that is a challenge you know we're not pitching uh, watergate <laughs> um but it is so important and i am fiercely competitive from my time as a journalist and i know how important the library is how many new yorkers rely on us every day i get to go to the branches and see the kids the new immigrants who use us for english language classes um the job search resources we offer you know interview um practice Um, resume writing workshops, one-on-one career counseling, all for free. And this is going to be increasingly important, sadly, uh, as we move on from this, through this pandemic. So I feel so passionately that we need to be out there, um, that it's really important to get this message to New Yorkers. So I am relentless at trying to make sure that we're not sort of thrown in the, well, this is nice, you know, this is nice, but um, we don't have time for this right now. Um, and it is a challenge. You have to be re- really relentless is the only word. You can't ever settle in my view.
1: There are so many stories that find their way into that. This is nice or, you know, on the in the in the delete file of uh, every reporter's uh, computer. Um, and so, yeah, finding finding the right angle or connecting with the right reporter is is like you said is is it's essential, and you do need to be relentless in that. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back after this. When you're when you're pitching out stories, and like you said, you know, you, you're not only pitching stories to the New York City market, but you're also pitching to the national market, um, and a lot of national outlets do sit in New York. Are you going to other cities as well, or are you focusing on the people who sit in New York and report from New York, whether that's to a local audience, regional audience, national audience?
0: Uh, Well, it really depends because if we're pitching eBooks, for example, um, the top 10 list of, of books people checked out during quarantine, we went national on that one to books reporters, culture reporters all across the country, publishing reporters, and we did well. Because even though those outlets, you know, the Washington Post, for example, covered it, someone reading that in Washington can't check out our books. They can't check out our ebooks. You have to be in New York. So we're missing sort of that opportunity when you make that a national story. And that's why we focus much harder on New York, um, because we wanted people to read that and say, let me check out one of these books. But we're positioning the library nationally. So the point of that story nationally was different, which was to position us as sort of um, keeper of a critical piece of information, which is what are Americans doing during lockdown? Um, everyone's hearing how bored and crazy everyone's going, how nervous and anxious everyone is. People are reading books. What are they reading? So being one of the largest public library systems in the country, even though New York is its own animal and, Uh, It's very blue and doesn't represent the rest of the country. It's still an interesting story publishing wise. What is one of the largest public library? What are we checking out to people during this moment? So we sensed this wasn't just a local story and we went broader with it and it positioned us as sort of central to, and and basically all public libraries as central to serving people during this moment. So it had an important um, purpose uh, in that case. And Sounds of New York, same thing. Even though it's a New York story, everyone in the whole country is missing the sounds of their local playground and their local restaurant and their local library. And since anybody could download that content, you didn't have to be a card holder to get it. Um, it was on SoundCloud and Spotify. Um, that made sense to pitch that far and wide. Because the New York Public Library is a national and international brand. And we take that pretty seriously that, you know, we can sort of be a symbol for open and free access to information, a symbol of the work of public libraries all across the country. We have resources a lot of public libraries don't have. So we like to remind the whole country about the importance of libraries and what we can offer.
1: Yeah. You, you are, the New York public library is as much a destination um, you know, for, for visitors to New York, as it is a resource to the people of New York. I mean, people people visit the New York Public Library because they see it in movies and they see it in pictures and they see it in media. Um, and they want to, you know, and, and maybe the most obvious and, and iconic thing about it is the lions out front, remind mm-hmm. us of their names again. They patience are. and
0: fortitude, there patience and fortitude.
1: There we go. Um, but maybe they, maybe they start by wanting to go see the lions and take a selfie in front of them, but then they go inside and, and it's beautiful inside. It mm-hmm. is as much a destination and sort of a place, a place you want to visit just to see it and experience it as it is a place uh, that you're talking about as an as a informational resource uh, and, 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 and so much more. Um, what have been, I don't want to put you on the spot, because I always blank when I get get these questions, but there, are there any <laughs> but are there any favorite stories that you've pitched out over the last 10 years of working for the New York Public Library, sort of the ones that just made you go, man, that was fun, or that, wow, that was a good one, or, not, and, it, and it's not necessarily like how much attention it got, but just as a former reporter, you know, what, you have those moments where you're like, man, that was a good story. Do you, do you have any recollections of those? Can you share?
0: Sure. Um, Well, there are are so many that this podcast would be like five hours long. So I'll just give you (laughs) two perfect examples. Um, First one was pure fun. And the reason I love this so much is I I helped formulate this. It wasn't just that I heard a great story and pitched it. It's that myself and my team took this idea and ran with it, which was, A couple of years ago, I've been wanting to do this for years. And finally, two years ago, a trustee um, was able to donate some funding to make this happen. Every year, Black Friday is a day, and who knows what it's gonna be this year, but it's a day where all you get, you get bombarded with spend money, spend money, spend money. You know, Right before the holidays, when it's supposed to be about family and all of that, all of a sudden you're getting just one retail ad after another. So I remember thinking, wouldn't it be great to take a full page ad in the New York Times, which is very expensive, (laughs) (laughs) and create a purposely cheesy looking retail ad with all kinds of funny things like for unlimited time only and 100% off that advertise that the best deal of Black Friday is the library, free books. So we actually were able to do this. Um, it was a team effort to create the ad which was hilarious and to make sure we pitched it everywhere to advertising places to national outlets to make sure we had a strong social media presence and e-newsletter presence and it just blew up people loved it the goodwill that we got from this ad we got so many library car- card signups so many positive um, notes We raised money off of it, meaning like we didn't, it wasn't a fundraising thing, but people donated. Um, All the good things came out of this and it was so much fun to pitch it. It's so on mission, but also just irreverent enough that you wouldn't expect the New York Public Library, the fancy building on 5th with the Lions to do something like that. And um, it was such a pleasure to have the aha moments with reporters where you just see them laugh Like this was really funny. (laughs) I really enjoyed pitching that one. And because the comms team, it was our idea. We uh, built it up from scratch. We had the support of the leadership to do something funny like that. Um, Everything just fell into place and it felt like such a win. It was a really fun thing to pitch the day after Thanksgiving. On the other end of the spectrum, um, I really love pitching stories that aren't for broad publication but are targeted towards a specific reporter. sort of more in-depth substantive stories with a lot of numbers and a story that sticks out um was a piece in the new york times that we it was about our story times and i took a fun fact about our story times which is that they were so crowded and it seemed such a spike in attendance that some branches had to hand out tickets So the fact that our story times were the, quote, hottest ticket in town, which is, again, unexpected. You wouldn't think that. Um, We use that basic fact and all the visuals that we know reporters need, the picture of the cute kids online outside, um, the video of the librarian reading a snowy day, you know. We took all that to send a message into the world that libraries, um, are educational institutions. They're not just places you go, you know, check out a book and get out of there. They support uh, the city's educational initiatives. We were supporting kids getting prepared uh, for pre-K and for kindergarten. We had a lot of quotes about early literacy efforts and how important it is for kids to hear stories. So if a, if a child, you know, if a parent is working two jobs and, and can't do it, the library can read the child um this was a fun story but it was such an important message for us to get out there we and it was in the times where the right audience was listening in terms of donors and elected officials and key stakeholders who would understand that so when it comes time for budget season you know the city's not going to look at us as something that is you know yeah we can cut them a little uh but instead positioning us as critical to the whole ecosystem of education in the city. Um, I was really proud of that one. It was a really big story in the times and it had a a sizable digital component as well because it had video and photos and tons of charts and numbers. So those are actually my favorite stories to pitch even though it's it's a ton of fun to pitch Sounds of New York or the Black Friday ad and get tons of press, constant press, constant interviews. (laughs) Um, to get one really powerful, impactful hit is always, it's its a higher bar, it's harder to do, and when it happens, man, that feels great because I know how hard our librarians work and our education team works, and to see them get their due um, makes me feel great about what I do every day.
1: Those are those are two great stories, and the the thread that I heard running through both of them is is picking out um, sort of the uh, we use you use the word impactful, but sort of like the the human element to that, getting that those reporters and those editors to go, oh yeah, that's great, exactly, um, and just sort of they can, in that moment, they can envision themselves telling that story to their audience, you know, and, and we always tell our clients, you know, you're not just talking to the reporter, you're talking to the reporter's audience, so keep that in mind when you're trying to craft how you pitch your story. Um, but finding, get, finding the way to get that reaction from that reporter really is sort of the, the secret sauce or the key to getting the, getting the story that you want them to write a report, would you say?
0: Exactly. So that, I don't know if I had just gone to the Times and said, hey, our story times are crowded. <laughs> right, I, don't, right. I don't know that they would have done it. But when you say here's a picture of a line of kids waiting for a free story time, they're giving out tickets, hot, just saying hottest ticket in town. They can, they can envision already the headline, the way it's going to look, that their audience is as surprised by that as they are. That's what gets it into the paper. And then once you get their attention and you have the photographer and the reporter in the building, you get the right spokesperson to say all the things you want in that piece.
1: Yeah, I've I've frequently told clients and this brings it to mind that, um, okay, your story may be important to you. We've got to make it important to other people. And that's the example of sort of making that story the way you just told it. You know, if you say, hey, there's big crowds at, at story time, that's what's important to you. What's important to the reporter is how they tell that story. Um, it's the same thing, right? The, the, the facts of it are the same. It's the way you tell it.
0: Joni, I'm going to make a t-shirt with that thing that you just said and wear it all the time. The <laughs> I, I, I,
1: I will go out and make them and you'll get the first one.
0: Because <laughs> <laughs> that, that is a challenge at the library. There are certain stories people they are important, they are important, but they don't understand it. it needs to feel important to everyone else in the world, not just to us. And so we have to find the way to get to point B. So, yes,
1: so, brilliantly said, Jody. Thank you. Thank you. Well, <laughs> uh, Coming from you, that's high praise. Well, Angela, this has been a terrific conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. Um, please let people know how they can find the New York Public Library online.
0: Sure. Well, you can go to nypl.org. You can find us Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at NYPL. And uh, you can find me on LinkedIn if anybody would like to say hello.
1: Wonderful. Well, thanks again, Angela. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Please remember to subscribe uh, to the podcast on your favorite platform and spread the word about our show. We hope we drop some knowledge with you today and, and had a little fun. We'll see you next time on the PR Podcast.